0: By Barbara Smith. I know a lot of pet people, meaning those who love animals of all shapes and sizes, and would have one of each if they could afford to. However, I do not share this affinity, though our family has had their fair share over the years. Growing up, we had dogs, guinea pigs, birds, and fish, and they all fall under the all-encompassing word pets we did not have indoor pets and i remember one puppy we bought named princess that really wanted to go inside so badly but my dad would sit on the front porch in his rocking chair reading and as she approached the open front door he would give her a stern no princess and she would come to a screeching halt and slide as if she had just made a home run in a baseball game It was certainly cute to watch, however, they do grow up, and they do take work, finance, and upkeep. I know the pet lovers are moaning and groaning at me already. It was not until I married a pet lover that I experienced the real amount of work that goes into owning pets, because this began an entirely new stage of indoor pets over the past forty years with my wonderful husband we have had a multiplicity of dogs petunia the cocker spaniel florence the basset hound lady the fuzzy mutt oscar the rottweiler a german shepherd and beau the english mastiff we have also had fish and a baseboard eating parrot named sonny and his close cousin the cockatoo then there was magnum i will spare you all of the details of this free black cat that my beloved brought home hidden in his zipped-up jacket let us just clarify that he was far from free i have come to find out years later that i was probably allergic to cats and didn't realize it at the time because i lived on benadryl for many years however this is in the past thankfully no more cats and no more allergies however we now have Callie, another english mastiff though this is a wonderful breed that i would highly recommend to those who are pet lovers she is highly intelligent and does watch over the house i am still not a pet lover One of the reasons is because though my husband and I are considered empty nesters now, we definitely are not. When you have a pet, it is like having a child that never grows up. If you leave, you must make arrangements for their care or take them along. They must be let out a thousand times a day and fed and given exercise and they want to be petted constantly. I know this is a little hyperbolic, but it is just not my cup of tea, that's just me. My husband loves, did I say loves, that big old gal, and does not mind the inconveniences she poses at all. All of our daughters and grandchildren have been bitten by the pet-loving bug, so I am definitely outnumbered. Let us look at the word pet more closely. We have seen it in the traditional sense, now let us dig further. A person can also be considered a pet, such as a teacher's pet. The dictionary gives two meanings in this sense of the word, a pampered and usually spoiled child, or a person who is treated with unusual kindness or consideration, aka the favorite. You can give someone a pet name or have a pet project that you are working on. This is something that you treat as a pet, stroke, dote on or give great attention to and pamper. This brings us to our topic, pet peeves. This is an oxymoron. An oxymoron is a combination of contradictory or incongruous words such as cruel kindness, something such as a concept that is made up of contradictory or incongruous elements. Pet is as we discuss, something warm and fuzzy, at least to the heartstrings, and something that is treated with exceptional care, whereas a peeve is the total opposite. A peeve is a feeling or mood of resentment, a particular grievance or source of aggravation. It comes from the word peevish or peevishness, which means to sulk, feeling anger, or to take offense to which was often used regarding pets. Therefore, the two unlikely words became connected as in pet peeve. My question is, why do we pet, pamper, stroke, or dote on our peeves? Because a peeve is something that you dislike so much that it consumes much more attention than it really merits. Things that we consider pet peeves are not necessarily wrong or right, but just things that aggravate or annoy or rub us the wrong way personally i will be the fall guy and be a little transparent here and give you a few of mine that i can think of right off the cuff the first one is for all the girls out there the scenario goes like this you are in a hurry out in public and having to use the restroom so badly that you run into the facility and quickly take a seat as to not have that dreaded accident only to sit down on a wet toilet seat That can just almost make me come unglued. The thoughts that run through your head are endless. Why in the world did the last person not just sit down? If they wanted to do the hover, why did they not clean up behind themselves? These questions go on and on. While you finish your business, then you must proceed to do all the cleaning that they did not do, in addition to cleaning yourself from head to toe. So infuriating. But, alas, not a crime, just inconsideration. Secondly, I hate to see store and brand labels that have been left on garbage cans or containers of any sort. Some of these items have been used for years and the label is already disgusting and filthy. When I see one, I literally want to peel it off no matter where I am. Whether it is in the doctor's office, yes, you heard right, all that wasted education, or in a gas station, restroom. It doesn't matter. It drives me crazy. However, it is not a crime and obviously does not concern the owner of the container at all. Lastly, There is a little matter of artificial flower arrangements and bows. I have nothing against them and over the years there have been great improvements in how they are manufactured and some appear almost real and I also have some in various places in my own home. However, my pet peeve regarding these is that people take them right out of the box, brand new or from storage and display them just as is. By this I mean they are meant to be arranged, fluffed, or rearranged, spread out, or whatever word you use for this. Here again, when I see this in offices, bathrooms, or other people's homes, I just want to fix them. Most times I must refrain myself and slap my own hand metaphorically because it is rude to be touching on someone else's decor, but oh how it bothers me so much. Let us consider, once again, though, it is not a crime, it is not right or wrong, it is just what grates against me personally. People using incorrect English is also something that really is like nails on a chalkboard, but we will leave that one for another time. Pet peeves and things that irk us could stem from our upbringing. How we are raised plays a huge part in what we like or dislike based on what we are used to. The one with the labels still left on their containers probably saw this in their own homes, therefore they did not know they needed to be removed or it just did not bother them. Personality could also play a big part in what we find offensive. A laid-back person is not really going to worry about the fake flower arrangement that is squashed or crooked. They will just take life in strides and maybe not even notice it, and when they do, they will just shrug and go on. Life in general, as it is happening around us, can play a part in what we do and how it is perceived by others. The person who leaves the toilet seat wet could just be self-absorbed and intentionally rude, or they could just be having an overwhelming day or have two children in the stall with them that day. They did not realize they were leaving a mess for the next poor sucker that comes along. Society and culture can also play a part in this conundrum of feelings and anxieties regarding things that annoy us. After all, eating with your hands is second nature to people in some countries, however, it is considered not acceptable in others. The fact of the matter is that our pet peeves are just that, ours. Our personal opinions of how things should or should not be, and when things veer from that course, we become irritated, exasperated, and our feathers can get ruffled. When we take account of our pet peeves, we must be sure to differentiate between what might be just irritating versus what might be sin, taking it into an entirely different level of consequences. The scripture admonishes us in Ephesians 4.22-32 that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that ye put on the new man which after god is created in righteousness and true holiness wherefore putting away lying speak every man truth with his neighbor for we are members of one another be angry and sin not let not the sun go down on your wrath neither give place to the devil let him that stole steal no more but rather let him labour working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to give to him that needeth There is a fine line between the weights of the world and sin, and our reaction to things when we spot something that we feel is a pet peeve can very easily cross those lines. Let us look into the life of Jesus, who is our prime example. Hebrews 4.15 says, speaking of Jesus, For we have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. However, I see in scripture that he did have things that irritated, aggravated him, and got under his skin, things that were just offensive to him personally because of who he was, how he was brought up, and the diversity of cultures he encountered during his earthly ministry. We have the example of Jesus showing a little irritation even towards his mother. Who among us can relate to that? He was a grown man and had moved out of the house and had his own place in Capernaum. Though he was on the move most of the time, yet his mother was telling him what to do. Oh, boy, you know that is a recipe for sparks to fly. John 2, 1 through 5 gives the account. And the third day there was a marriage in Canaan of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, They have no more wine, Jesus saith unto to her mother what have I to do with thee mine hour is not yet come his mother saith unto the servants whatsoever he saith unto you do it he kind of told her to mind her own business and she just ignored him as mothers are so good at doing and continued the instructions to get the problem solved he was a little annoyed by her pushy behavior but that was by no means a crime or a sin on either side matthew twelve forty six through fifty we see another family incident take place while he yet talked to the people behold his mother and his brethren stood without desiring to speak with him then one said unto him behold thy mother and thy brethren stand without desiring to speak with thee but he answered and said unto him that told him who is my mother and who are my brethren and he stretched forth his hand towards his disciples and said behold my mother and my brethren for whosoever shall do the will of my father which is in heaven the same is my brother and sister and mother it was not that he did not love his mother or brothers after all he made provision for the care of his mother while he hung on the cross but he was so intent on his ministry regarding spiritual things that they became a nuisance to him when they interrupted his ministry keep in mind all the while he was doing his father's business meaning god's will he was still having to navigate this earthly life at the same time is it easy no but he did do it without sin It is not the temptation that we face that is sin, but our response to it can be. Hebrews 2.17-18 says, Wherefore in all things it behooved him, Jesus, to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, and make reconciliation for the sins of people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to secure them that are tempted. He understands our frustrations, but they are not a justification to sin. Jesus also became pretty upset with the creation when it did not do that for which it was designed. The tree that was supposed to have fruit that didn't was a source of aggravation to him. Matthew 21 verses 18 through 22 tells us, Now in the morning as he returned into the city he hungered, and when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away, and when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How soon is the fig tree withered away? Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily I say unto you, If ye have faith and doubt not, ye shall not only do this which is done to the fig tree, but also if ye shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. And all things whatsoever ye shall ask in prayer, believing, ye shall receive." though jesus turned this negative experience into a life lesson as he was known to do it sounds like he was just a little hangry as they say nowadays he had pet peeves they rubbed him the wrong way with questions that followed just as we do such as what is the point of having a tree that does not bear fruit why is it full of green leaves but there is no fruit on it we can all relate however no crime or sin was committed here What annoyed him did not seem to bother the disciples. When all is said and done, we must know how to differentiate between sin and personal preferences. There are sins and there are weights, as we read in Hebrews 12. And most often when it comes to dealing with other people, it is advantageous to set them all aside. We are being watched, there are witnesses, and there are those who could be the weaker brother without understanding jesus ultimately made the gesture of complete surrender in the garden of gethsemane in his prayer that we see in luke twenty two and he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast and kneeled down and prayed saying father if thou be willing remove this cup from me nevertheless not my will but thine be done within his flesh he was not too fond of the idea of going to the cross but he knew it had to be done sometimes we must wrestle within ourselves and with our emotions to conquer those feelings of dislike annoyance and irritation and do what is best for all involved and more importantly what will please god here is a verse to show you how closely weights and sins likes and dislikes are related in god's view Proverbs six sixteen through 19 tells us, These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaks lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. You can see in these seven things that he first states, he hates at least six of them on a personal level however secondly they are an abomination unto him which has then crossed the line into sin you can also see in these seven things keeping in mind this is not a comprehensive study that they are all things that are done against others or will affect others God always looks out for the underdog, the poor, the simple-minded, the afraid, the sick, the widows, the orphans, and the wounded and faint of heart, just to name a few. Things that we might do or say that hurt others, and we slough off as just an oh well, they'll get over it. God takes very seriously. Proverbs 11:20 says, They that are a froward heart are abomination to the Lord, but such as are upright in their way are His delight. Next time something is getting under your skin, think before you react. Road rage can easily lead to sinful behavior, and straightening that picture in someone's home or correcting their sentences all the time could easily lead to hurt feelings, anger that stems from embarrassment, and a severed relationship. Paul found this thought worthy of repeating in 1 Corinthians 6.12 and 1 Corinthians 10.23, All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. Before you react to something that is grating on your nerves, having a little conversation with yourself first might be a good idea. Yes, I could do or say that, but should I? What will the outcome or consequence of my actions or statements be? Will someone be hurt in the process? If the answer is yes to the last question, then know this, it will not be pleasing to God. Therefore to you it will be counted as sin. Harsh but true. James 4.17 states, Therefore to him that knows to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. James had also stated earlier in his writings in James 1.15, Then when lust has conceived it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. We must often put our personal feelings aside, even though something is a pet peeve of ours and it frosts galls chafes or gripes us because if it is not put aside it could become sin to you stop petting your peeves by giving them more attention than they deserve don't let your pet peeves get the best of you and ultimately be the death of you remember today that something you do might be a pet peeve to somebody else